Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of, and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Hi, this is Dr. Maggie Perry, and you're listening to Tell Me What You're Proud Of. In this third interview with Sophie, we're talking about the first two interviews were her history and the beginning of what's going on for her and her OCD. In our third interview, I talked with, I consulted with Dr. Reed Wilson, and he gave me some insight around what's happening for Sophie's case and some additional things that I could do to help her. And so Sophie got a chance to listen to the consultation that I had with Dr. Reed Wilson. And Sophie, why don't we just start there? Can you tell me kind of what reactions you had and what felt relevant to you? Yeah, sure. Um, I thought it was really helpful just to listen to and to have both of your input. Um, And I think something that I thought was really helpful was when Dr. Reed Wilson was saying, like, you go kind of up one level of abstraction for your content. So not getting like, I think for me, it does feel he made a comment like not going after the topic or the content of the month. And that's something that really resonated because I do feel like that's been a lot of my history and treatment. It's just like kind of trying to, or just kind of whack-a-mole, like, oh, I need to like worry about this content today and then this content tomorrow and this content came back. And like, that's a really stressful approach, I think, but it's also like the only one that's felt accessible. And so his thing of saying like going up one level, like that the content doesn't matter as much, I think resonated with me a lot because I've seen that play out that the content doesn't necessarily feel good when it goes away. It's just replaced by different content. So trying to look at things like the content doesn't necessarily matter, that I need to be paying more attention to the processes and giving them more weight than I have been is something that was a good reminder. Great. And can you be more specific about what you mean by the process, pay more attention to the processes? Yeah, I think for me, it's like, because my, I guess, content of the month has been HIV related content. And so that's taken up like contamination and hand washing and kind of like I developed like these fears and rituals that I never had before. So for me, understanding that like this is not new OCD or something, it's just a new way that my OCD has manifested. But now it's not like I'm not checking the amount of times like the door is locked or not worried that the stove is on or things like that that's brought me a lot of distress or like whether somebody's been harmed by me, it's now like related to contamination. So does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess I can ask a follow-up question. So as you've developed new compulsions that you didn't previously had and you're paying more attention to the processes that maintain them, what types of compulsions have you noticed? 
you've developed that you were previously thinking were a new version of OCD, something like that? So just like around hand washing and making sure I wash my hands anytime that they feel dirty. And then if I do wash my hands and it's like, I can't remember, it's kind of like almost like making sure that the door is locked. It's like a just right feeling. I think to use your terminology where it's like, I have to feel until that feeling like washes over me to like be able to leave. And it's like the same feeling with like washing my hands where if I do it and I'm like talking to someone or I do it and there maybe wasn't enough soap, it's like I would have felt was better or more adequate then I have to do it again until it feels like right. And that feeling like washes over me. That's been a lot of the contest. So I had started washing my hands probably like 25 times a day, I would say, like anytime that like wherever I was. And so like my hands were getting really dry. It was like stressful all day to kind of almost be managing those feelings. Yes. And so now that you're thinking about it as a process, not that you have to kind of challenge or combat the content itself. How does that change the way you think about refraining from washing your hands? I think it's a little bit relieving because it's pretty stressful to go related to the content because it feels like, I think I was talking about last time, like it feels just like really overwhelming. And I just is coming from all different areas and I have like a lot of sensations and thoughts in my head and feel really out of control. And so I'm hoping that maybe taking a different approach to like this by going one level up, like Reed was saying, and looking at it as the same process and however it manifests so that it doesn't feel as out of control where it's all these isolated like silo things. It's more like it's the same process that's fueling all this content. So if I can just like kind of figure that part out, it doesn't feel like it's widespread. Yes, that's great. It's a way to hold on to hope that if you can clearly see that it's the same process, even if it's happening really frequently or the new content seems more threatening or it seems overwhelming, to have a a new version of this pattern that as long as you can hold on to the process, you hold on to your hope. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, it does. I mean, I think I try to find humor in it too. Just like, I think I remember like when I first was diagnosed with OCD, I remember thinking like, oh, hearing about people's versions of OCD or like other people's experiences. And it was like a lot around contamination. And I remember thinking like, oh, that's not really like, that doesn't resonate. Like, I'm not even sure if I have OCD, but I don't have that content, you know, like, and being really like clear about like, that wasn't my content to myself. But then now that I have had contamination, like, Almost, I think in my head, I'm like, oh, well, now it feels like I have a seat, you know, like, I mean, just to like kind of laugh about it. So I try to like do that and like find humor and just, yeah, like you said, have hope because if you don't, it like feels very um, defeating. Yeah. The silver lining is if you've only ever had one content area and then you get through that one and you get another one, then you're more convinced that you actually have OCD. Is that Mm -hmm. the logic that you just described? Yeah. Or like once you get the stereotypical, like, I feel like people associate OCD with like contamination, like just in the general public that doesn't know. So it's like, yeah, I got like the one that everyone at least assumes I have, you know, something like that. Yeah. And just for the listeners, Sophie has also gone a long time without having more stereotypic content areas and even stereotypic compulsions. A lot of your compulsions were mental. So part of your journey has also been just believing, like having compassion for yourself for the suffering you were experiencing and believing that it was actually OCD. Do you want to say more about that? No, no, that's completely accurate. Great. Were there other things that you heard in the consultation? 
Yeah, I thought something else that Reed said was like winning the little moments. So like commitments fall apart in a moment. And, you know, I think he used the analogy of people doing like a dry January or something. But I think it really resonated to me when, because I think some days I'll allow myself like one hand washing here, one hand washing there and those add up. And that also kind of like chips away, I think, at the progress that I make to tolerate the uncertainty and knowing that's what I have to do. So as soon as I start to feel uncertain and I wash my hands when it's not a, that fits in with kind of the rules that we've made, it completely undermines, I think, the progress I've made. Even if it's like, I can like look at the week and be like, oh, I only did that two extra times a day. But it's like, well, that's probably when it was the stickiest and the hardest and I'm still fueling that. It's just hard to look at because you want to kind of give yourself some credit where it's due, but like, it's almost like you really can't fall into that trap because it's those that are undermining like your progress, I think the most. Yeah. Actually, can you expand on how really small, even subtle compulsions that you do just in small moments, how does that fuel your OCD from your perspective? So just like, I think everything with the treatment from my experience of OCD so far, it's just been like, you have feelings, you have thoughts, they don't mean anything. And you have to kind of like desensitize yourself to them to not have them continue to like cause you distress. And so part of doing that is to like welcome them or like all of doing that is to welcome them and expect them and want them. So I think- I say it better myself. Thanks. <laughs> so just because of that, when you are trying to minimize the discomfort that those like sensations bring or those thoughts bring, you're minimizing like wanting, you know, you're basically telling your body like, even though I, I might be okay with these sensations once in a while, like overall, I'm still not okay with them. So it's like, those are the small things that I think when you wash your hands, like only a couple of times, it's still, I'm okay most of the time, but this is still a threat to me. So like, that's what that's showing my body. Yeah, you said that really well. And I also really like your point and want to reinforce the idea that especially if the one or two times that you do the compulsion is the time where your mind is the stickiest and your body feels the most sensitized, you are reinforcing. Like, again, most of the time I'm fine, but I can't really handle this. I really need to do something to make this go away when it's at its worst. And that moment is actually a huge opportunity where if instead of the little compulsion and the subtle compulsion, you say, this is actually my time. This is an opportunity to show myself not only that I can handle this, not only that I don't need to do my compulsion, but also that I can handle this. You might not feel great in that moment, but you later have the memory of having that experience and that decreases your anticipatory anxiety, increases your efficacy, makes it easier to not do compulsions in the future. Thank you for bringing up that point. Were there other things that were coming to mind? Yeah, I think too, like the difference between setting like functional versus distress tolerance goals resonated because I think for a lot of my treatment, I've been focusing on functional related goals as I like progress through grad school and things like that. And that was kind of like what I needed to do in the at the time. But I think I'm recognizing that the true like work is like in the distress related goals. Like it's really easy to like, like we were just talking about you know, I shouldn't say it's really easy. It's over time become easier to decrease like the amount of times you give into a compulsion. But I think what's harder is when you are okay with how uncomfortable you feel and how urgent you feel and how like palpable the consequences of not doing something feel and still decide to like not give into that. 
because they're a little different, I think. Yeah, you're saying a lot. You said a lot just now. So let's elaborate on each point. So first, when you're saying, I kind of got used to setting functional goals, can you just be more specific about that? So like, I will drive every day. Like I won't avoid driving because I need to get where I'm going, even though I have OCD content around that. Yeah, really well said. So basically functional goals are, these are my priorities, obligations, and values in my life. And I'm going to set goals to ensure that I do all the things associated with the life that I want to live, regardless of how I'm feeling. But basically, however I get there, I'm still going to drive. Are there other functional goals that you've set over time that are worth talking about? I mean, I'm sure I probably set like 100 (laughs) just because of the widespread nature of my content. (laughs) So not just for you, just for the listeners, other functional goals that are really common are things like I'm always going to eat three meals. I'm always going to shower. Sometimes I'm going to shower and and set a timer for how long I'm going to be in the shower. Actually, your daily routine across the board could have functional goals associated with it. So I'm always going to brush my teeth, but I'm not going to brush my teeth for longer than five minutes would be, could be a distress tolerance goal, which we'll talk about in a minute, but is also a functional goal because you likely need to get to work or school. So it's important that you brush your teeth, but not for longer than is necessary. So your daily routine, eating, sleeping can also be a functional goal that people set parameters around ensuring that you get out of the house if that's challenging for your OCD, ensuring that you drive, especially when that's challenging for your OCD or your other anxiety disorder. Sometimes if you have social anxiety, you may need to set goals around, I'm going to attend, I'm going to make sure that I go to work a certain amount of days or I attend social events a certain amount of times that I go on dating apps or I commit to dates. All of those will likely be triggering situations and bring up thoughts and sensations and our opportunities to practice. But you can also see them as functional goals. And what I specifically mean by that is, again, you're trying to maintain your treatment happens over the course of your life. And we can't stop your life for your OCD and your anxiety aren't stopping for your life and your life shouldn't stop for treatment. So just committing to things kind of regardless of how you're feeling that are reasonable and sometimes can be modified based on your anxiety disorder is one important part of treatment. The other thing that you were talking about, Sophie, that I think is a great point is sometimes you're going to go do things that are intentionally going to make you anxious that may have to do with your functioning, but aren't specifically to meet an obligation that you have in everyday life. So the driving thing is a great example where a functional goal for driving would be, I'm going to drive every day because I need to get to work or school. But distress tolerance goal for driving would be, I'm going to go down the road that I know triggers my OCD, or I'm going to take the highway because I know it triggers my panic sensations, et cetera, et cetera. So that's also driving, but the intention around that practice or that exposure is to get yourself anxious on purpose so that you can practice your skills and change your belief around whether or not you can handle it. And it's actually a different part of treatment. So with that in mind, Sophie, do you have thoughts that you want to elaborate on how that plays out for you? 
No, I think you did a good job of explaining it. So you're basically saying that you've set hundreds of functional goals over time. And I really appreciate that because I do think that sometimes people start treatment or any other major behavior change and they start it that they think like, this is the hardest thing that I can think of. I need to do it perfectly and it has to happen tomorrow. And for most people with most behavior change, that's not how things actually work. The best thing you can do is pick something that you can you can commit to and you can achieve and do it as quickly as you can. So something like I'm struggling with hand washing too often, I'm immediately going to set some rules around that that are like a, actually achievable for me. And then I'm going to live by those rules and then see what I learned from it and renegotiate my goals based on the learning that I have from the next step that I set. That's a wonderful way to do it. And again, setting hundreds of goals is a fine way of going about behavior change. So actually, do you want to comment on that at all? Yeah, I think it takes a lot of like willpower to go from functional goals to like distress tolerance goals. I think it's like a human things to not want to do things that cause you distress. So it's like kind of non-intuitive where you're like, why would I want to feel like I harmed someone? Or why would I want to feel like really bad for the rest of the day when I could not, like I could do things that prevent me from feeling that way. So I think it took me a really long time to have that resonate, even though like it made sense, like conceptually to understand, like I'm going to compromise, like how I feel the rest of the day. Because like maybe a year from now, like I'll feel better in these moments more often. I'm really happy to hear you say it like that. Can you say more about how you got to a place from conceptually understanding that that's how you needed to think, that's what you needed to believe to actually living that way? I mean, I think it goes back to what Reed was saying with that one level of abstraction, because it feels like if you just are doing the things to get you through, you know, like doing a small compulsion here or there based on whatever content you have that time, like you'll function, but it doesn't feel good. You know, it's like your distress or like my distress was still relatively high. And it felt like I was always on the verge of having like a really bad episode of OCD, like, and I was having to manage it to prevent that that would happen. Whereas like it took me long enough to recognize that that has to be worth it more. And that over time, if I don't, I constantly feel like I'm on the verge of like playing whack-a-mole to like manage everything, then I need to step outside of my comfort zone more and like be more willing to try like doing things differently, which like may cause me more distress in the interim. Yes, that was really well said. So what are the implications of that on your life moving forward? They're still in progress, <laughs> I think. Like um, everyone, every human is a work in progress. Yeah, I think it's manifested in like me making rules, like not rules that are right or wrong or things like that, that would be more fueled by like my OCD, but just rules that I kind of like have made that like I can, like it's almost like self-respect almost where it's like, I just need to follow them because I want to get better. And so it's like, I know if I break them, it's like the worst because it's like letting myself down. And so it's been pretty effective for me to make goals. And so like related to hand washing, I've like done it where I can only wash my hands like before I eat, after I go to the bathroom, and then when they're visibly soiled, which I learned is not subjective. What you mean by that? Well, I felt like that was like a little bit of a margin there for like wiggle room that like... 
uh, there might be something that's visibly dirty on my hands, so I'm going to wash them. But you kind of put a stop to that and you're like, only when they're like covered in something and you see it very clearly, that's not subjective. So yeah. Or I would say if someone else saw your hands and Mm -hmm. said there's something on your hands, then that would be criteria. You're meeting the criteria that your hands are visibly soiled. Yeah, fair enough. So anyways, those are the three situations when I'm kind of allow myself to wash my hands. And then others around there, I just can't, even if it feels really uncomfortable. So there's been a lot of situations where it's like, today, my bike tire popped. So I was like dealing with my bike and I'm like, my hands are a little bit dirty. Like I can see it on there, but I wasn't around a sink. And I stopped using hand sanitizer. That's like another goal I made. So I just had to live with that that uncertainty that maybe I had touched something that I didn't like being on my hands and that uncomfortable feeling. And yeah, I think that's kind of the switch that I've tried to make. Yeah. And, and well, tell me about what you've learned about yourself as you've tolerated. So there must be times where you're having intrusive thoughts that are telling you to go wash your hands and then you're coming back on, I have rules around this. This is not a time that I wash my hands no matter what my OCD says. And then your body feels anxious or feels uncertain. Like, what does it feel? Yeah, I mean, it feels terrible. It doesn't feel good. Like, I mean, in the moment, I can't say that I'm like, oh, man, this is great. This is like the distress tolerance that I'm going for. Like, this is like what I've dreamed of. You know, I mean, it's like, it feels awful. I mean, even in the moment, I like wanted to wash my hands, but, you know, I just couldn't do it. So. Yeah, I mean, I try to like distract myself or like be more mindful. So like I'll talk to people around me or just like text someone, not about that, just about something else random. So those are ways I've kind of developed to try to like make it better. Let me just comment on that and how I understand the difference between distraction and redirecting your attention. So they can actually be the exact same behavior. So we're looking at, in terms of compulsions across the board and avoidances across the board, we're looking at the function of your behavior, not the behavior in and of itself, because so many times the same behavior is sometimes distraction and sometimes redirecting your attention. So texting is a great example or going on Instagram or something like that is a great example of sometimes when you have a certain trigger and you don't want to be thinking or you don't want to be feeling what you're feeling, then going on social media or texting or something is distracting you from something that you don't want to be experiencing. And in the moment that you notice that you want to distract, it can actually be helpful to turn your attention back on the sensations and the thoughts that you don't want to turn your attention towards, because that will probably increase your distress in the moment, but it'll also help you observe and tolerate that distress more effectively and also develop the belief that you can tolerate that distress. So comparatively, redirecting your attention is often occurring at a time where you really want to be thinking about what you're experiencing. Like your hands feel really gross or uncomfortable and you kind of want to think about that or you want to notice that more often. This happens a lot when people have the urge to check their bodies, depending on what their intrusion are, that's the compulsion that they have. Or this also happens a lot with rumination, mental compulsions, or attempting to figure something out through worrying where 
in that moment, the same behavior like texting or going on social media is actually redirecting your attention because what your OCD really wants you to do or your anxiety disorder really wants you to do is to trying to figure it out or like stay in the thoughts about it or stay with the sensations. So in that moment, you want to redirect your attention actually to anything. You could redirect it to anything. And you're thinking about it as bringing your anxiety along for that other experience. So it's basically while anxious, I might as well do something helpful to me. So what you're saying around while anxious, I might as well text my friends about something else that's happening. Or while anxious, I might as well, can you say again, like what you'll do while anxious just because it's better than just sitting there anxious? Yeah, you mentioned texting. Yeah, I'll just go work out. I'll clean too, which my boyfriend appreciates. Yeah, I'll just try to, like, I purposely will choose something constructive because then I'm like, in my head, I'm like, at least I'm getting stuff done while I'm anxious. Like, if I'm just going to sit here and have to be uncomfortable, I might as well be like productive and uncomfortable. That is great. That's a really good example of, again, I'm going to bring my anxiety along while I redirect my attention. And the important part there is your intention that you're not trying to make your anxiety go away. Some people with intention OCD or who are constantly preoccupied with whether or not they have the right motive, the right intention, or they're doing their treatment right, will get very confused in this moment and not know whether or not they're distracting or bringing their anxiety along. And to you, my listener, I say, just take a guess. If you're caught in, I don't know if I'm doing, I've done my exposure, I'm feeling uncomfortable, I don't know what to do now. Just take a guess at what you're going to do with yourself while uncomfortable and then learn from whatever you choose. So if whatever you chose then gets you even further stuck, that's a good, that's indicating to us that it was likely an avoidance or a compulsion. If it helps you maybe not feel immediately, doesn't make your distress go away right away, but you're able to ride out your distress and then redirect yourself back to your life, then we've got some data on some a strategy that may help you in the future. Okay, so is there anything else that's coming to mind for you? I guess the overall question was, what does this mean? Everything that we're talking about, what does it mean for your life going forward? You're saying, I am a work in progress. I have been setting these rules. It sounds like your rules are going pretty well. Is there anything else about your strategy that you want to change right now? I think just being really aware of what Reed said. So trying to, like, I'm really trying to refocus the way I think about things as being like one level up. So I thought, again, really resonated and trying to think less about the content and more just like, this is another way that my OCD is manifesting like this week or this moment or whatever. And also kind of trying to make the the little moments, like the little one hand wash off, just one off trying to cut down on those because just like reinforces, you know, listening to read what he said, kind of undermining my progress. So I'm trying to kind of in that light, maybe do my exposures and meet my goals more effectively. Yeah, that sounds like a really great plan. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story with us, Sophie. We will touch base with you again in a couple months. Thanks again. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategy shared here. Thank you.